Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Charlie Wyckoff. And we're pleased today to have as our guest, Dr. Varun Chaudhry, uh, who is Chief of Ophthalmology at the Hamilton Regional Eye Center, Professor of Surgery at McMaster University, and also Editor-in-Chief of the Canadian Journal of Ophthalmology. Welcome to Retina Synthesis, Varun. And we're going to talk today about your presentation at ASRS. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you both. Varun, great to, great to be here with you. Um, you know, you gave some very interesting thoughts about treat and extend versus alternate dosing for DME. You know, it's interesting. Physicians have different approaches to DME compared to, for example, neovascular AMD. I think most people agree neovascular AMD is a chronic disease in most most situations, but DME, it's a little bit up for debate, right? Should we treat and then stop? Should we treat and extend? So what, what did you present on and, and what do you think? So I think you kind of nailed the, hit the hammer, uh, hit the nail with the hammer there, uh, Charlie. I think great point, you know, that DME, I think there's a lot more clinical variability in terms of how clinicians practice. In fact, even on a podium, if you remember, when it came up how we manage DME, some people did fixed dosing early on, some did PRN, some did treat and extend. And you know, clinical variability is always a sign of, of potentially you know, issues with quality of evidence because really no one really knows precisely what to do. So we essentially wanted to do look at treat and extend, which is gaining more momentum. And I'm quite frankly surprised at, at how many people are using treat and extend in clinical practice for DME. I think what's, it's almost a spillover effect from neovascular AMD. Um, and question was, you know, how effective is treat and extend compared to gold standard, which is fixed dosing, or compared to PRN, which is, of course, a lot of the work that the DRCRNet has produced and produced outstanding results. So that was kind of the, the, the crux of the question we wanted to ask. You know, there's a clinical dilemma here. We don't know what's the ideal paradigm. Let's look at the evidence, the entirety of evidence, synthesize it, and let's see if we can find any signal which of equivalence or superiority of one algorithm versus another. And, and how did you collect the data? What data were you using to do this analysis? So we looked, uh, we searched three databases. We followed essentially the Cochrane uh, handbook in terms of carrying out a meta-analysis. So we had in duplicates searched three large databases looking for any trials or prospective studies, comparative studies where one arm received treat and extend uh, with anti-VEGF for DME and the other arm received either fixed dosing or PRM. And overall we had about 22 studies, eight RCTs, and we looked at a number of outcomes, year one, year two, visual acuity, CRT, CST, uh, complication risk. We looked for patient reported, um, uh, sorry, uh, patient um, uh, reported outcome measures like um, VFQ, which there wasn't much data on. So a number of different outcomes we thought would be of relevance to clinicians. And what was the typical uh, algorithm for treat and extent? Great question, uh, Carmen. So I think that, you know, it was very heterogeneous and very variable. Clearly, you know, Charlie was involved with Trex DME leading that study and, and their criteria, you had essentially your best CST that you could identify for the patient and you were looking for change based on that going up and down. There were other studies that like the retained study, which essentially looked at visual acuity, didn't even look at CST in terms of making decisions. Then you had the, the Yosemite and Ryan trial, the most recent trial with Ferisimab that used a computer algorithm. So we don't really, I mean, they looked at visual acuity and CST, but the precise um, 
decisions, how they were made, were essentially made by computers. So we don't really have very good sense of how those decisions were made. Um, so it's a lot of heterogeneity. That's, I think, one of the challenges is, and when I talk to clinicians, you know, in, in AMD, it's, it's, it's more simple. Clinicians either aim to completely dry. There's controversy about whether you tolerate a little bit of SRF or not, but IRF people will aim to dry as long as it's exudative IRF. DME, you know, when is it stable enough to stop or extend? I think, you know, there are a lot of different opinions out there because clinical studies and, and uh, trials as a whole have done things very differently. So there's no, no simple answer, unfortunately, for that question. So you found eight randomized trials, multiple non-randomized trials, global studies, lots of different variability in, in the treatment approaches. How many eyes were included approximately in the end? What, and then what were the findings? What were the results? So we, we, I guess we, we looked at the 22 studies collectively, uh, Charlie, and I think the, the number of eyes, I don't want to give you a quote, I forget the precise number of eyes that were included, but with the, with the, we're looking at kind of the, each trial as giving it weight in terms of how many patients and the, the large trials obviously had larger weight than smaller trials. And the conclusion essentially were we have, if you look at individual trials, and this is, I think, the key why meta-analysis are so powerful, you get a point estimate and you get a confidence interval. And Charlie, going back to your TREX DME study, for example, very important study for the field. And if you looked at, I think, one-year results, their confidence intervals was minus 2.7 letters to plus 4.5 letters. So yeah. it actually crosses meaningfully important difference. So you look at this study, very impactful, but depending on where the true value lies, you may actually have a meaningfully different outcome that's compared to PRN dosing, but we don't know. And that's why no single RCT actually gives you a definitive answer. So when we were able to pool the data, we got very tight confidence intervals. And essentially the bottom line was treat next end compared to fixed dosing gold standard, visual acuity outcomes were equivalent. They crossed the line of no difference with very tight confidence intervals. And when we looked at PRN treatment, <laughs> Similarly, cross line of no difference, uh, telling us there in terms of at least visual acuity, there was no difference. So uh, we can be, that's somewhat encouraging data, of course, for all of us who use treatment extent. That's powerful. So, so we pretty definitively can conclude that treat and extend is a viable, reasonable approach, um, but not necessarily better um, than fixed dosing, um, certainly less treatments than fixed dosing probably in most cases. That's exactly what we found if you looked at that, yes. And then what about the number of treatments compared to like an as-needed treatment paradigm? Right, so in year one, there were about two more treatments with treat next end versus PRN. But I would, you know, so going back to the previous comment you made, Charlie, interesting comment, and I, I think that's the, the first perception is you see this data, very tight confidence interval point estimates, and you think you have, you know, you have, you're pretty certain about the evidence. But then the next thing we did was we actually looked at the certainty of evidence because you need to decide how sure are you about the evidence. I mean, the evidence tells you go in this direction and it gives us a very good map to, as to how to go. But is that direction actually correct? Is your GPS actually giving you the right direction or just giving you a direction that may still be wrong? Um, so we did the grade evaluation, which is essentially a very established methodology to look at certainty of evidence. And when we looked at that, actually, we looked at all our seven outcomes. The certainty of evidence was, it's a grade has four categories and our certainty of evidence was low or very low for, for a number of these outcomes. And the reason for that is risk of bias, imprecision, a lot of kind of variables go into this, but 
going back to your, your point, yes, we can we have precise estimate, but the certainty of evidence actually is very not very strong. It's moderate for visual acuity. So I think the important one with visual acuity, we have moderate certainty. For a number of other outcomes, including number of treatments, it's actually very low to low certainty of evidence. So clearly, we need to generate more, more data, more prospective RCT data to, to uh, make the evidence more robust. Fascinating. You know, I think I'd broaden the next question, which is, Varun, there's a lot of people around the world doing clinical trials and interested in sort of advancing the field, but I think few do it in the way that you do it. And you've impressed me because you have a really good fund of knowledge when it comes to clinical trials, but you bring a unique perspective in that you understand statistics in a way that I certainly do not, and I think is underappreciated in the field, right? You're able to understand these really important statistical questions and you've and you've, and you've laid out now a series of presentations and publications about sort of these, uh, focused on these meta-analyses in a very robust way. What, what's your sort of overarching goal here? I, I love your sort of evidence-based approach and bringing sort of big data to bear on, on, these, on these common clinical problems that we have. You know, I think it's, you know, it's clearly in learning from, you know, for people like yourself and Dr. Pulafido, I think, you know, there's great evidence we produce in retina. I think retina is a very robust field, a lot of prospective RCD data. But I think the fundamental aspect is if there's bias in everything and there is no single RCD gives you the right, right uh, truth. And the analogy I like to use is basically each RCD is like throwing a dart at, uh, um, on a dart in dart game. And your RCTs are going to land because of random error. They're going to land all over. They're not going to hit the bullseye. And you, no clinician should make a decision based on where one dart lands. And one disadvantage in, in, in retina, I suppose, in that analogy is we have a continuous outcome we use. So this, when you use a continuous outcome versus a, a dichotomous outcome, your sample size can be smaller. So our we do studies in, in ophthalmology in retina with two, 300 patients versus cardiology with 10,000 patients, for example. Mm -hmm. Random error goes, goes larger, so our darts are landing further away from the bullseye. So what we need to do is do meta-analysis, especially for RCTs, to reduce the random error, bring the darts closer to where the true estimate would be. And I think that's kind of where uh, I think, you know, where we as, as clinicians need to start looking at data, looking at evidence synthesis when we start making decisions. And that's, I think, the fundamental interest where, which I have. And, and but doing these meta-analysis, you can also identify what's missing in the field. And I think our uh, study we're referring to treat and extend showed us a number of things we are missing in the field that we can hopefully generate prospective studies and hopefully more RCTs will come to answer those questions. What's your personal approach in treating diabetic macular edema? What do you do in the clinic? So I, up until about two years ago, I was uh, following DRCR net PRN treatments, but I've really found over the years, and I've done some chart reviews, it's I'm not getting the follow-ups that I need. I mean, DRCRNet, protocol I, yes, the treatments go down from three to one to zero in year five, but the number of follow-up visits is five to six. And, and I'm simply, I found, Carmen, looking at my chart reviews, simply was not getting the follow-up and patients were coming in, losing vision. So I've switched over to treat and extend now, last couple of years. Um, and... Again, I have a hybrid treat and extend model. I, I focus more on CST. I'm not trying to dry out the entire retina. I think the correlation between anatomy and, and visual acuity in, in DME has been shown to be not very strong, a correlation coefficient of 0.3 or so. 
So I, I, so I use the CST to guide what I'm doing. I'll, when, when it reaches stability, I'll start extending patients. Um, so that's where I am. I'm doing a lot more treat and extend, um, partly because I think we need to do something to make a long-term outcomes better. Uh, I think we have enough data from long-term studies that uh, patients you know, start regressing when we cut back on our treatments. So uh, how many fixed doses do you use to start with? So great question. So you know, the, the, the data seem to suggest we want to have a heavy treatment load early on and you know, four, five, six treatments. And I would typically say I'll, I'll do a, a heavy load loading dose uh, anywhere from typically about five, as long as there is maculodema and the vision is not 20-20. But if I reach success in both, I think a treat and extend paradigm may allow you to individualize not just the, the, the follow-up period, but also the loading phase. And I think that's one of the advantages for treat and extend, which we need to explore is, can we personalize the loading phase, not just load everyone the same? It's kind of counterintuitive to what treat and extend is about. Treat and extend is about individualizing treatment. So I, I try to individualize my loading, loading phase to some extent, but then I quickly start extending patients. What's your uh, extend, the length of your extend phase? With, with the current modalities we have, I'm a two-week extender uh, for DME. I think that's most of the data. It tracks DME and others have shown uh, two weeks retain. Again, one study used four weeks extension based solely on visual acuity. Um, but I'm comfortable with two weeks um, extension with current agents. So what's the average number of uh, treatments during the first year, typically? Typically, I'd probably what? say seven to eight uh, would be the, the average I'm able to get in. And uh, I think that's a compromise of what I would like ideally and what a patient in my clinical practice is able to, to, uh, to actually make it into clinic for. I think that's well described. One more question from me. So I love the fact, Varun, how you take data like this and then you act on it. So you're currently in the process of executing a global treat and extend trial with, with, with Farisimab. So tell us briefly about what that trial looks like and, and what the plan is there. What are we going to learn from that? You know, happy to Charlie, and of course, want to thank you and uh, my other steering committee members, Soba, um, Samantha, and Peter Kaiser, and Vastad. Um, you've been all very tremendously helpful in, in putting this together. So this trial will essentially be a treat and extend study with Farisimab gold standard fixed dosing. I think one, it's a non-inferiority trial, and one of the key aspects of non-inferiority is you need a, a very strong control arm. So we have a fixed dosing Farisimab arm uh, and a treat and extend arm with Farisimab. Uh, which will we'll try start treating extending early on. We'll you know we've defined criteria for stability in a loading phase. We'll do four week extensions. I think the other aspect of this trial, which is interesting, is our maximum extension will be twenty four weeks. So that's never been been tested in terms of DME uh, extension periods. So we're going for long extension to really make it practical, reduce treatment burden. And I think the other aspect of the trial is looking at a lot of interesting anatomic outcome uh, outcomes. So we'll be looking at non-perfusion. And Charlie, you're of course a big proponent of, of this as an important biomarker on OCT angiography, on white field fluorescein, along with your structural OCT and, and other uh, diabetic retinopathy severity score and other key markers. So it's a two years primary outcome, non-inferiority. Um, and we are happy to you know, have countries or sites in, in Canada, US, UK, and Australia as part of the trial. That's a, it sounds like an exciting trial, really. Yeah. It's been uh, looking forward to it. Uh, I think we've got a good team and a lot of excitement building up. So. Have you enrolled the first patient yet? No, no, so we, we, we are hoping uh, Q4 of this year. That's wonderful. 
things. So it's been great talking to you, Varun, and we'd like to stay in touch with you here at Retina Synthesis. And this was a great presentation. Charlie, any final words? Thanks for your work, Varun. Very insightful, very exciting. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for coming to Retina Synthesis. Mm -hmm.